smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Cliff Schechter, here along with the ever- Great effervescent, John. I was going to say effervescent. That's funny you said that. I was thinking I might effervescent. That's you, John. I mean, does it, can, can any other word really more accurately capture you? I, it's, it's hard. How do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? <laughs> exactly. Just, yeah. I sort of felt like we were going um, there. We're um, lucky enough to be joined by yet another moonbeam today. Um, we have Aaron Rupar here with us. Uh, Aaron, as you, you, well, you may or may not know, hopefully you're smart, you do know, is an associate editor of policy and politics at Vox. He used to be at the Center for American Progress, uh, or at CAP, I should say. Um, and uh, he is, uh, you may know him from Twitter as the guy that gets the best video threads of Trump doing crazy shit. So we're going to talk to Aaron in a second. But first, I'm going to throw it over to John, because as you guys know, we're, we're sexy and liberal these days, and that means we have ads. So go for it. Exactly. So um, you guys, anybody who's been a regular listener knows that we've been promoting uh, Bill Press for a few weeks now. Uh, Bill Press, as you guys know, is a longtime progressive, really good guy. Um, Cliff reminded me he was doing uh, Crossfire versus Carlson Carlson years ago. Yeah. But any case, but uh, Bill's got a new podcast. you know, God, I'm trying to think like he does news, he does interviews. You would have learned things about Congressman Tim Ryan calling for workers most at risk from the coronavirus to get hazard pay. You would have heard Emily's List president, Stephanie Schrock, say Democrats now have a great chance to take back the Senate. You would have heard leading health experts warm that the reopening businesses and restaurants too soon means more Americans will get sick and more will die. Um, that's the kind of stuff you'll get from Bill Press's podcast. But um, it's the kind of stuff you're going to miss if you don't sign up. So I encourage you to join me in subscribing to Bill's new podcast, The Bill Press Pod. And it's a must listen for all progressives. Bill's podcast is up twice a week. Uh, there's an in-depth interview with a major newsmaker on Tuesdays and a roundtable looking back at the news of the week with Washington reporters on Friday. Hey, why haven't we been on that one, Bill or Bill Cliff? <laughs> we need. We need. I think we need to have a yeah, little. We're, a little we're not cool enough for the round. I'm just kidding. We need to have a I'm sure Aaron has been on there because he's more important than we are. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to sign up, go wherever you go for your podcast. Search for the Bill Press Pod. Click on subscribe and then tell your friends to do the same. It's easy. It's free. It's your one place to get your progressive news for the week. That's not true. There's lots of places like the like unprecedented. It's the second place to go to get your progressive news. <laughs> Definitely also (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It's not the one place. It's the second. It's the it's the second place. Uh, Take it from me. Anyway, Bill really is great. So I hope you guys check it out. Uh, Cliff, tell us a little bit more about Aaron, and let's jump right in. Well, I mean, I I think I mostly introduced who he is. Aaron has has been a king of of Twitter for a while. uh, With tell people where to find you. Aaron, where do Uh, we find you on Twitter? It's uh, really easy to remember. It's at A.T. Rupar. And uh, T, some people think it's supposed to be at Rupar, but actually my middle name is Thomas. Um, so that was the the idea was T for Thomas. But at A.T. Rupar, that's pronounced like rhubarb, but with a P and no B at the end. R-U-P as in Paul A. R-U-P as in Paul A-R. Yep, you got it. A.T. Rupar at, well, I guess... Twitter is obviously, you know, I was going to say at twitter.com, but, you know, it's Twitter. You can find if you it can't find it, guys, there's like, he has nearly 400,000 followers already. At twitter.com. Then you're, really doing email. Something, you're doing something wrong if you can't find him on Twitter. Well, actually, you don't yeah, want yeah. people to go at twitter.com because then, oh, I've, it almost sounded like an email address. 
as i was saying that i kind of caught myself caught yourself yeah it's it's been a it's been a long four years i bet for all of us well in any case let's get past all the fun well not really we'll still have fun but but thank you for being here aaron well tell people how we want to have me on i mean tell people why we wanted to have him on cliff i mean because again anybody who's not familiar with aaron's twitter work well i mean i I, he uh, again you know there are not many hard to believe okay come on john let me talk sorry I'm just kidding. Uh, the, there are not many Twitter accounts that I would sort of refer to as ones you kind of have to follow because they have the kind of information you need. And Aaron is actually one of those. Um, what, I'd actually like to ask you, Aaron, what was it you used to when you were at, I said CAP before, but you were really, was it Think Progress who you were actually with? Yep. So when you were at Think Progress, you started doing this. Was that sort of like uh, a requirement of Think Progress that they say, Aaron, you're going to do this? Or was that like an idea of yours that you were going to kind of provide, I would call sort of almost like a live tweeting video diary of, I mean, you've done this, a lot of this for Trump, but also other Republican loons, which, you know, that I, have, I was being a little bit uh, repeating myself there. But in any case, <laughs> tell, us, tell, us how you, tell us how you got into this gig and, and, uh, and what, what you do. Yeah, well, first of all, you guys are, are very kind. Thank you for, for all the kind words. Um, I appreciate that a lot. But, you know, it was kind of an accidental thing because um, back when I was at Think Progress, we had a training on the software that I still use called Snapstream, uh, which is basically a service that records, you know, various TV channels. And then you can, you know, cut up the video, post it, whatever you want to do. And it's kind of become the standard across media at this point. Um, you know, CNN is one of their clients. and uh, a lot of the big publications have uh, accounts with them, but uh, this was back in the fall of 2017 that we, you know, paid for it at Think Progress. And we had a training, and actually, uh, you know, around that same time, maybe a night or two later, was the and I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but uh, when John Kelly, who was then the chief of staff, went on Fox right. News and defended Robert E. Lee. I think he called him like an honorable man or something like that. Oh, yeah. He was kind of doing apologia he was a for the voting man. A kind of man. Yeah, it, right. You know, and so I just happened to be, this was not even a part of my routine at the time. I was much more focused on writing, you know, which I still do, but, um, you know, video wasn't really something that I was doing. But I happened just to have Fox News kind of on in the background, you know, a random evening at home. And my ears kind of perked up when I heard John Kelly saying this stuff. So I had just been trained on this video cutting software. And so that was kind of the first clip. You know, I, I hmm. clipped the little video and put it on Twitter. And by the next morning, it had like 2,000 retweets. And it was kind of like a light bulb turning on, you know, where it was like, <laughs> wow, there's a lot of demand, you know, just for these little uh, news clips. And, you know, pretty much from there, uh, the ball was rolling, you know, kind of downhill ever since because, um, you know, it kind of quickly became a thing that I was doing every day on Twitter. And, you know, at that time there were daily press briefings, which have obviously been scaled a bit back now. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, you know, it was really just kind of a, a fluky thing. It wasn't like it was part of my job description or anything like that. But, you know, it just that that one incident, um, you know, kind of revealed to me that there was a huge appetite, you know, for someone who kind of watches all of this stuff and because we it want down you to suffer so that we don't have to, Aaron. So what you do is you have to suffer through it, and then we just get to watch <laughs> it. So you know, like a few clips that we can sort of emotionally handle without kicking in the TV. Sure, you know, and it, it doesn't really strike me. You know, I don't get too 
beaten down by it because I still kind of view all this stuff as being very historic in nature and interesting. So yeah. it never feels like too much of a burden. You know, it's, it's certainly a lot to wade through. And I've dialed back a little bit over the years, my watching of Fox News, because there are other accounts now that are kind of like, you know, live tweeting all of the clips from a random Brett Bayer show on a Wednesday night or something like that. So these days I'm more focused on. That was the gig John know, originally applied for before this podcast. But Which um, was that? Live tweeting Brett Bear. Um, no, <laughs> yes, um, I can't help myself. Go ahead, sorry. So, yeah. Anyway, it was it was a great way to build an audience, and um, you know, I'm, I'm really, um, you know, it, it really feels good that people, you know, find value in my work and and um, you know, view me as being kind of a an indispensable Twitter account. So that's that's really cool. But yeah, it was a very kind of accidental thing, and you know, in this era of politics that we're living in, there's so much interesting stuff happening on camera. Um, that I think if I had been doing something similar during the Obama years, there would have been a lot less material to work with. Can I can I ask you something geeky about this? Um, and it sure. may not it may not appeal to all the listeners, but I don't know what works in terms of when 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 do you find that your videos go most viral? Is it the subject? What kind of subject? Is it the time of day? Does it matter what you write in the tweet? No, well, no, but does you it matter that, what you write in the tweet itself? Really- See, that's it's a really interesting question. I, you know, I'm never really posting clips with the intention of them going viral. It, you know, just kind of happens a lot of the time. Right. Um, certainly, you know, for instance, like when I was watching the press conference just the other day where Trump announced that he's taking hydroxy, right. um, you know, when I was watching that, you know, I pretty much put up the clip with with very little commentary. I think I mentioned in the in the clip that it's unproven and potentially dangerous. Right. But I kind of had a sense that that would blow up just because there's a lot of interest surrounding that. And it was obviously, you know, a pretty interesting exchange with reporters that Trump had when he announced that. So, right. you know, in a case like that, it's pretty obvious that something's going to go viral. But, um, you know, it's kind of intuitive. You know, some of the you know, when Trump has a meltdown and snaps at female reporters, that sort of thing. But is it usually um, Trump? For, is it usually Trump, for example, that does best? Yeah, I would say, you know, overall, I would say that that probably has the most interest. And um, I'm actually, yeah. you know, the biggest car yeah, crash out there tends to do but best. It kind of, it, it depends. Yeah, you know, it, it really does depend. But that's never really something that I'm aiming for. You know, at this point, I have a large enough audience where right. pretty much everything I'm posting is getting some level of attention. But, um, you know, it, it's not something that I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm never really snooping around just for right. for viral clips. I mean, just before we got on the phone, I was watching uh, Mike Pompeo had a news conference today and he was asked about the numerous scandals that uh, he's involved in right now. <laughs> and uh, it was actually kind of, you know, it was an interesting exchange that he had. He ended up kind of ending the briefing in a huff and snapping at reporters and right. demeaning Democrats and then kind of storming off. And, um, you know, I thought it was a pretty compelling clip. It's certainly not going viral to the level that a Trump-related one does a lot of the time but you know part of that is because i think there's just more interest internationally even right. um you know in trump than there is in a guy like pompeo who's do, a do you do do you do much positive clips or is, does it tend to be more negative i mean in this sense where it's stuff critical for, i'm just trying to figure out sort of also yeah. what what people want online because often i i worry sometimes and i think lately because of the coronavirus i have actually been trying to do more uh more than I did before, happy tweets, so to speak. So like really funny animal stuff or jokes or whatever, but stuff that at least is light and I think is funny because I almost feel like I'm worried about 
uh, getting people too down. Okay, let me throw yeah. this more generally. One of the things you worry about as a political activist or political actor, like all three of us are, is if you keep telling people, oh my God, he's going to kill us. After a while, people become so sort of despondent that Learn they can become- this is what it, it is. Like exactly. Give up, you know, yeah. You know, do you worry about that? But also, do you at the same time- do you ever put out positive stuff? And, and Oh, yeah, I mean, all the time. I mean, there's less of it going on, but certainly, you know, part of what I do is live tweeting. Trump didn't fuck hearing. up today. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's not a lot of positive clips surrounding the administration. Yeah. Um, so that's that would be kind of a, a very sparse genre of, of tweet would be positive videos. <laughs> positive Trump Trump clips. Clips. Yeah. Yeah. People want to Democrat clips. There's been a though. couple, you know, there's, I, I think, you know, there's been a couple times where I've commended him for actually saying something that was fair right. or something like that, but it, you know, that's the exception. But, um, but certainly, you know, when there's congressional hearings, if there's a sharp line of questioning from a Democrat, um, you know, even last weekend, I posted a clip that really blew up of, hmm. uh, and I don't know if this was really positive, but you know, hmm. Obama kind of, subtweeting trump during one of the speeches oh, yeah. he gave over the weekend to students yeah um so yeah i mean I, you know i'm out there kind of looking for whatever is interesting in terms of american politics yes. um but it just so happens you know this day and age uh, most of the action is happening kind of in you know yeah in the white house or surrounding trump world so um you know but but yeah i mean certainly you know as well i was going to say as the, the hmm. campaign unfolds maybe i'll be tweeting some Biden speeches, but who even knows if there will be a campaign like that at this point. So um, that's a little hard to predict. But, you know, um, I, I look forward this summer if there is some sort of virtual conventions, things like that. Um, you know, it, I'm not just that's true. That'll Trump, provide a lot but, of content for you. Yeah, it's virtual. Yeah. I, I, but, uh, I have a know, question. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Finish. Hey, well, actually, you know what? Let me jump in because sure. we no. got to do another ad, Cliff. Oh, oh well. <laughs> If that's what we have to do, then I'm going to let you jump in. I am like, I am the ad dominatrix of this, of this ad podcast. Nazi. You know, it used to be funny because like in the Seinfeld years, you could say soup Nazi and Nazi was kind of a funny term because they weren't trying to take over our country. Yeah. It's okay. funny now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now okay. that they're welcomed in the White House, it's kind of like, oh, maybe we don't. That's why I said ad dominatrix. I like that. Other than the okay. dominator. What's dominator. the male version of dominatrix? Plural for dominant. For dominatrix, dominatrices, matrices, matrices, um, like dominatrisorum. Okay. In any case, anyways, um, what if, who's read, who's doing this ad? John? You have a quick ad from Plexiderm for us, Cliff. I do. Hold on one second, folks. While I <laughs> for a quick ad, I wasn't ready for it quite that second. All right. all right, guys. So listen, are you all doing Zoom meetings, coworkers, and clients like the rest yes. of us are? Yes. Fun is. Have you noticed the bags under your eyes and deep wrinkles? If you're, I've noticed them under Cliff's eyes, but certainly not, old, certainly like not me. mine. Not mine. Uh, yeah. Yours. I don't know. John. John's the one who's applying for Social Security in a year, so I don't know if I'd go for that. But <laughs> okay, I, I'm sorry, John. I had to do that. Let me. Okay, so as you guys know, and this is actually quite true, Aaron can tell you this from the videos he does. Cameras catch everything. So now imagine those bags under your eyes, those wrinkles are gone. No risky, expensive surgery, just gone in minutes with something called Plexiderm. It's a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags, all in the comfort of your own home. Plexiderm is the solution for Zoom meeting eyes. That's, I think, a term now, Zoom meeting eyes. Zoom meeting eyes, eyes. yeah. Um, I need this stuff. I'm going to look into this. I know. Um, if, you know, I'm guessing if I were to try it, I'd look 10 years younger, guys, uh, So, and, and, and just might be blown away with the results. Plexiderm can give, you, can give you the confidence you need to be great in Zoom meetings or just FaceTiming with friends. They'll sure be surprised when they see you this summer. 
Uh, the best- <laughs> <laughs> Meaning when they see you afterwards and then yeah, you have bags again. <laughs> don't be surprised when they see you this summer from at least six feet away wearing a mask, but melting your eyes. <laughs> the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, lasts for hours, so nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them, which you wouldn't because, well, you wouldn't. Exactly. Go to tryplexiderm.com. I'm going to have to spell that for you folks. T-R-Y, well, you know, like try. P-L-E-X-A-D-E-R-M uh, dot com. Use the code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. So it's half off plus 10. That's half off plus an extra $10 or call 800-685-1292 and mention the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com and use code VOICES. That's code VOICES at triplexiderm.com. There right. you go. Woo. Are you going to use it, Aaron? I actually had the microphone muted and was talking to my wife there for a minute. So oh. I, I don't know what you were plugging. Uh, okay. It's never mind. We'll talk about it later. Aaron just, won't, Aaron just won't look as good as we do on the podcast. Exactly. We'll get rid of our crow's feet and our baggy uh, eyes. Exactly. I've, I've, been at, I've been at Vox long enough now where, you know, for Zoom meetings, um, people are used to seeing the bags under my eyes. So I'm, I'm not worried about it. But what about like that that Donald Trump face? Like he's got those huge bags, especially when Oof. he's like looks like he's yeah, been trying well, various you things. Know. I don't know. Oh, yeah. actually, you're a video person. For two things, one, did you notice like his hair? His hair was worse than ever yesterday. I think either he's losing it and he can no longer do the comb over, or literally, I was I'm going to control my language. Being gay, I was going to use a term that I can use, but perhaps wouldn't be appropriate <laughs> on the podcast. Maybe but don't the. The person who does his hair perhaps has finally gone on, you know, social distancing strike uh, because so his you hair. Think he doesn't perfect the cotton candy twirl anymore. Like oh no! It, it was haven't you? Didn't you notice in the last couple of days, Aaron? Because you pay. I mean, I do a lot of these videos too. His hair has gone really bad. I think the, the one thing it's I did thinning. notice is when when he had that trip the other day to. Um, where was he in Pennsylvania? The last time he had a trip out of the White House, I think it was. So, yeah. I think that's I think that's right. He looked extremely orange. His face was like, you know, it was there was a photo where it was kind of him in the foreground and there were a bunch of people in the background and you know, he looked like he was like a different species of of creature than the rest of the humans who were there. Right. One of those like he, men in black creatures you saw in like Yeah, the, and then he's looked, around. you know, it, it I've noticed that he's looked less orange um the last couple of days and I think maybe that makes hmm. his hair look um, you oh. know, it, it kind of, his face blends more with his, with his hair when he doesn't look so orange. So, um, I haven't noticed specifically anything with the hair, yeah. but I have noticed that there's been major fluctuations in his, uh, well, he, in his complexion. Yeah. He was also gray a few times when he did the press conferences outside a couple weeks ago, if you noticed two different yeah, days, he came out, fly. he was, he was freaking gray. I mean, <laughs> I think it's hard to, you know, it's hard to blend all of the different colors he's got on his face most of the time. So. Maybe his makeup person, you know, with, with the, the COVID scare they've had at the White House. I mean, maybe maybe his uh, personal yeah. assistant isn't there or something. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'd buy that. I, you know, I don't know that for a fact, but it seems well, like honestly, at a point where it's like you look at him and you're like, and, and out of all of it, what of it is actually real and what yeah. is fake, right? Like the hair, the makeup, the whatever. I, it's hard to know, kind of. I half expect to see like a, third arm coming out of his back yeah well and it, it's like, you know it, it's not something i comment on much just because you know for obvious reasons that if you're 
if you're kind of shaming someone based on their appearance, it's kind of a slippery slope. And, you know, we kind of, we, we had that this week with the Pelosi comment. You know, and that, that I was not, yeah, that, and That's a medical <laughs> term, morbidly abused. Morbidly abused. Well, abuse. I mean, I think we all, I think we all saw kind of the glimmer that she had in her eye when she said that. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, I don't but come think on, she, you I, enjoyed it, but you enjoyed it. Admit it. I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed it. I saw a lot of people who I respect who were offended by it. So um, I saw that too. You know, my take on that Walter Schaub was one of them. My take on this is, and I was going to say to him, but I don't, I don't know him very well, and I didn't, you know, didn't, don't want to get into it or anything. I would have said it respectfully, which is, look, as a general rule, that kind of stuff is is childish and stupid, and you shouldn't be doing it. But I think, you know, when you're dealing with a situation where people need an outlet where you have this monster in the White House yeah. who's constantly throwing insults at people about how they look, you know, you know, what they do, you know, like crying Chuck and, you know, and all this stuff. I mean, horse face, but how they look. Yeah, it's how they look, but also yeah. their demeanor. I mean, he does it so much that I'm just I'm sorry, like here and there in life. You make exceptions for things. And this is a person who has doled out so much shit that I feel like I'm, I'm sorry. I will take shots at him about, you know, about things that I normally would not with anybody else. That's you know, true. can I throw in something too? That's interesting because I've mentioned this a few times and I'm very careful about it. I mean, meaning on Twitter, because especially on, well, I guess by voice, you can screw up even more sometimes, you know, by writing, at least we hopefully look and we edit and everything else. But one of the points I have made about Trump and as a you know, gay man who's been a you know radical gay homosexual activist for over 25 years. Trump comes off really culturally gay a lot. And I've been happy to say that. And I'm careful how I say it because I also don't want it to become some right-wing flame war. But it's the kind of thing where I admit I've thought about it in terms of not just you know being sued or whatever, but also you know, right. I don't want gay to become a negative and an insult or whatever. But part of the 11th dimensional chess in my mind is, A, it's true. He To me, I'm sorry, the guy comes off totally gay. But but to his people, A, that's a negative. B, to him, that's a negative. You know, that it's it part right, of his it is people. The, do you mean orange people? Orange <laughs> people. Correct. No, to oranges and fruit in general. Um, no, but but the thing yeah. is, I guess what I'm saying is that in a funny way, you're using the slur that you don't consider a slur because he considers it a slur. And you know, Trump can't stand fat. I guarantee you, Trump can't stand fat people, right? You know it. And Trump would have a real issue with with somebody thinking he was gay because he's Mr. Manly yeah. Man, except he's Manly Man with the gestures and the voice and the histrionics, whatever. Um, right. But so for me, like, I don't, a, it's a true observation from my perspective. We're just I think leaving it to you, John. No, no, you can't weigh in on this. I do, I'm not jumping in on this one. I know. Aaron's going to go. I was on the craziest fucking podcast. They made me talk about Trump being gay, and I didn't know what to say. No, but, but, but my point is that I've thought about that implication, and in my own mind, yeah. I justified it by saying it's not about trying to promote negative stereotypes. It's this person is the very person who would promote them. And if, if there's something true about him that would make him implode on himself, I'm happy to say it. But that's the other thing. I, well, that I, was, I, yeah. That's right. It's that politics is psychological yeah. warfare and, and Democrats yeah. too often do not understand that part of it. But it is subtle. I will admit you don't want to be making fun of. No, you, know, you don't. I mean, you have to find, you know, it I mean, right. 
You know, I mean, like Dan Savage, actually, who's a very good friend of mine, but Dan got into trouble several years ago and he admitted it afterwards. And when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, he was they had a really bad secretary of state who was some Nazi or whatever. And Dan was kind of making trans jokes about the secretary of state in some way. I don't know what it was, but something about the guy wearing dresses or whatever. And the trans community got upset. And once he thought about it, and I admit at first, like the joke was funny. I went, oh, we used to call Ann Coulter, for example, Man Coulter. Yeah. because of her Adam's apple and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And and when I thought about it after folks raised it, I said, you know, you know, you're right, I guess. Like, even though it would piss her off to call her that, we are making fun of her for being kind of a girl who looks like a boy. And isn't it's a dicey area. It's you a dicey area a where you can't Yeah, you well, need I, to find a balance yeah. of Yeah. Go ahead. Well, John, and I think your comments kind of point towards something that I, you know, I've thought about quite a bit. It's kind of hard to put a button on it but you know having watched trump all of these years i mean the thing that kind of strikes me a lot of the time is that he is one of the most odd people you know he's just such an odd person you know between just the incessant lying and like you said you know this bizarre makeup that he wears and the obsession with his hair and you know it's just like it's hard to kind of his obsession with gold decorating this is exactly what i wanted to get to with aaron so this is perfect which is cliff like can i can i cliff i'm leaving you with the podcast for a second because i've got to take this this could be about my bank loan Uh, okay folks we've got like ppp loan calls coming in um actually (laughs) that's our podcast for you aaron aaron i did actually want to hear so this was perfect what you were starting to talk about like you know, continue with what you're saying about him being odd, but anything else, like, I, I feel like your expertise in some ways is like, you've seen this person on video so many times, what you've gleaned from that about him, you know what I mean? As well as others around him. Yeah. I mean, the big takeaway, I guess, again, is just, you know, he, he's such a, just an exceedingly strange person. And it really kind of comes through almost every appearance that he makes. Um, but, you know, also, um, there was a book that recently came out that was a psychological profile of Trump and kind of described him as the episodic man. And right. you know, part of that is just saying whatever he needs to say to sort of win the individual news cycle. Get through so, the you know, moment he, kind of thing, right? Right. And, you know, so there's just a sense with him where, like, there's no history. You know, he doesn't worry about his claims being consistent over time or contradicting himself. And, you know, there's a certain sort of... Um, willful amnesia that he that he seems to have you know that really kind of permeates almost everything that he says and does so um you know but again he's he's a hard person to kind of boil down to you know you, you know to, to boil down in a succinct way because um he is such a complex and very strange person so um you know beyond that i mean that's kind of my my broad takeaway but you know um in terms of specifics we could kind of delve into those but yeah i mean Beyond kind of the overwhelming oddness, I would say that's kind of the main impression that that I'm left with after all these years of watching pretty much every public statement that he's made. Another thing that I found uh, I found fascinating about, like uh, you know, watching you on Twitter and when you've talked about different folks is, I remember one of our podcast personal favorites, and by that I mean we can't stand him and make fun of him a lot because he's a lying. <laughs> whatever, which is Glenn Greenwald. Um, I remember him referring to you as a stalker, like a paid stalker by Vox, which I thought was hilarious. Um, You know, because that's classic Glenn. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I've I've tried to kind of pay less attention to him because I feel like he's less relevant than he was a few years ago. I mean, I think, you know, I saw this week that... um, Marcy. Maybe it was... 
it was awesome. Yeah, I think it was last week, actually, that he debuted, you know, some new video series that he's doing. And the first episode was about, you know, the uh, the unfair prosecution of Michael Flynn. And, you know, and it's just like he's, he's kind of become a self-parody. Um, he really has. It does kind of, you know, it does make me cringe when I see journalists who I otherwise respect retweeting him and taking him seriously because I just think, you know, we're so far, so far past the point where you know um people should be doing that but well he, I mean, he's not i mean again it's beyond you know going into all the dimensions of his psychological issues and other whatever whatever may have gotten him to the point where he is and i i, I knew him in the past quite well so you know i have my own theories but it's 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 more about the fact that that essentially um you know at this point like he's so clearly not a good actor in all of this he so clearly can't hide in almost a trumpian way how controlled he is by his animosities his resentments his biases you know his hatred for rachel maddow because she stopped inviting him on her show and things of that nature that like how could you take anything else he says seriously Right? I, I mean, mean the, the thing that he's most committed to is hating on the Democratic Party, you know, and right. being anti-anti-Trump. And, you know, it, it is kind of an interesting psychological phenomenon where, um, you know, it's it's almost like a blindness that people like him have that, you know, they don't really realize that they're sort of helping Trump with a lot of that stuff. You know, if you're constantly um, demeaning the people who are trying to, um, you know, beat Trump in elections or who are trying to block his agenda, that that helps him, you know, but it's like, you know, there are people, it's like people like him just kind of pretend that Trump doesn't exist and that the Democrats and MSNBC are controlling the federal government. It's just, you know, it, it's kind of delusional, but you know, that, that seems to be his number one, um, you know, his guiding principle is that Democrats are bad and that, you know, anybody who is anti-Trump is bad kind of reflexively. And, you know, right. a lot of stuff kind of flows from there, but, you know, it's like kind of pretending that, the federal government is, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, an imaginary state of affairs that, that he deals with on a day-to-day basis. So it's, it's very weird to me, but um, there's a lot of people who are like that, you know, a lot of the, the far, you know, the, the Bernie last is like that, where, you know, it's the, the main thing is kind of their commitment to being anti-democratic party. And, right. you know, it's, it's very counterproductive. But... It's like, if you look, if you know history and you look, it's kind of like, the Trotskyites of, you know, and the far, you know, the thirties and the far left of the sixties, like they hated liberals more than they hated conservatives. Cause they, right. you know, they view people like us as sort of diluting what would be their perfect revolution, which will never happen except for if it does happen, we'll turn into France or, or Russia. And, you know, and when I say France, I don't mean current France. I mean, French revolution, France, where every, every week, a new more radical group comes along and beheads the group that came before them. <laughs> right. that's where, it, well, yeah go ahead and it's it's just sort of this denialism about the reality that you have to win elections you know right. i mean if it had come to pass this year that bernie you know just stormed to victory in the democratic primary and was the democratic you know the presumptive democratic nominee that'd be one thing but you know their theories were kind of put to the test in this primary and for better or worse joe biden prevailed so you know but it's like this kind of you know where any sort of gesture towards the center or towards the right is viewed as being a sellout, right? You know, but the reality is, you need some of those people to win elections. Well, you know, and so yeah. off because if you if you do study history, uh, which I spent way too much time doing uh, in school, and you do you know you understand the theories behind our democracy, which is you build coalitions, 
that's how legislation passes. That's how you elect your people. It's not, I mean, they're starting to have that same mentality that drove the right off of a fucking, you know, ledge, right? Which is any, any compromise, you know, any trying to work with other people is viewed as evil. When in fact, that's the, their view is the exact opposite of the view that, are, that demo, of, of our founders and how democracy works. It's in fact, the, what, exactly what you have to do is work with people. And, right. and say say that you know my preference is I've got two choices here I get a hundred percent of what I want by bringing a gun to the fight or I end up dead or right. I can try to have a government with other people and, and have a commons and compromise and you know what sometimes I'll get seventy percent of what I want sometimes I'll get thirty percent of what I want sometimes I'll get fifty percent of what I want but the key here is you don't for the most part get all of what you want because that's the system that's how we we create a broad governing coalition. That works, you know, and so yeah. to me, that's my problem is that they don't seem to understand that what they seem to want is the opposite of democracy. Absolutely. You know, and and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty much happy just to not pay attention to Glenn at this point. Um, but, you know, um, he is kind of an interesting case study and kind of a corrosive force, you know, in terms of what his, you know, what he's saying and the impact that it has on our politics. Yeah. Um, well, and, I only you know, brought to, him yeah. up because of the, the because he called you a stalker, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> well, you were, that too, you were getting should, to I him. Should, I should mention. I mean, at that point, he was going on Tucker Carlson's show, you know, pretty regularly, like once a month, you know, maybe twice a month. And I, I don't think he's been on there now for. Um, oh, he was actually on there in early March, so it hasn't been that long, but it's been a couple months. And so, you know, part of that was to kind of preemptively, you know, if I posted a clip of him chumming along with. Tucker Carlson, you know, five minutes before, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson said something really racist, you know, and Glenn's on there kind of boosting his show. It was sort of a preemptive, you know, right. oh, this guy's just a stalker. Don't right. pay attention to him, you, you know, because you're you're exposing him for what he is. Um, right. And there's well, a lot of that with Trump, too. I mean, I get a lot of DMs from Trump fans who are like, oh, you're so obsessed with the president. Why don't you you know, write or tweet about something else. And it's like, he's the president, you know, like it, it what he says and does matters. And um, so that's so I, I don't really anybody have else with like as big a platform as Glenn or similar type thing, come up with creative uh, uh, not, or hopefully more creative ways than Glenn did to try to attack you and insult you publicly. Well, I recently had kind of a big blow up with uh, Vic Berger, who I don't know, you know, the video guy, mm, I don't know, know if you know who he is. What's that? That name is definitely familiar, but I don't know. Yeah, he does the he you know, he was the guy who did a lot of the videos for Super Deluxe. And, you know, he's very good at doing kind of these, um, you know, he does a lot of editing and they're kind of, you know, but they're they're like highlight reels of ridiculous stuff that Trump or Pence, those people say. But, you know, we had a big blow up over the Tara Reid stuff, which has become obviously a huge hot button. And that's another one that I've mainly tried to stay out of. But you know, there was a period there where if you pointed out that her story had dramatically shifted, that you were a rape apologist. And that was sort of the spat that, you know, he and I had that led to him blocking me on Twitter. And um, I saw a lot of, you know, people who you ever be the same. Well, it was funny because a lot of people who follow both of us were kind of DMing me like, oh, my God, you know, like, stop fighting. Like, what's going on? I like both of you guys. Uh, But, you know, passions can run kind of hot on on Twitter and um, but in terms of people who are kind of on Greenwald's level, um, you know, kind of sticking their followers on me, nothing is leaping to mind. I mean, I think, you know, by and large, people seem to appreciate the work that I do. I certainly get a lot of grief from, um, you know, from from people on the right, whether it's the Reagan, Reagan battalion or the Trump campaign's Twitter account that 
will go after me. And, you know, it's one of those deals where if you get a large enough platform, if you, you know, get one of the facts wrong or kind of misstate something that people are certainly eager to kind of jump on you um, for mistakes that any of us make, you know, um, over time. But, but, you know, um, I think by and large, you know, most of the the feedback that I get is positive. And I try, and I try to be fair. Well, of course, you know I assume I mean? that right away that like 99.99% if it's positive, I'm more looking for just those few cranks who obviously you've exposed. And then because of that, they get pissed at you. That's really what I was asking. Yeah, about. well, you know, it is kind of a thing, you know, I, I guess in some ways, probably similar, similar to you. Um, I think of myself as being, you know, certainly on the left, but um, you know, I'm, I'm not one of the people who is kind of, a, you know, into purity tests or, you know, kind of the self-destructive brand oh. of leftism that, you know, has a hard time winning elections. And so, you know, to the extent that that leads to friction with kind of the Bernie faction, you know, that's incidents like that have happened over time, but um, oh, course, nothing yeah. kind of on the scale of some of the showdowns that I've had with Greenwald. Right. All right. Well, that makes some sense. Um are you back, John? Did I hear you return? I don't know. This may just be a me and you podcast at this point, Aaron. So I hope you like me. Um, <laughs> so um, what what have you been seeing with what you've been sort of chronicling with, uh, you know, over time? Is there any consistency to what's coming out of these folks uh, on COVID-19 at all? Or is it just, are the other, other I mean, Boy, I assume you're yeah. doing, because you're looking at things that are being said by, Senators too, and other, you know, and so let's talk about the Republicans, obviously. Yeah. For the most part, you know, I mean, I think the main are thing they I all would say on that. Really buying into Trump? Oh, and t- yeah, well, that's actually an interesting question. I mean, the, the thing that I was going to say that I think is kind of the unifying thread at this point with what Trump is saying about COVID is that I think it's, you know, everything kind of has to be viewed through the prism of a Hail Mary that he's throwing to try and win the election in November, because, you know, at this point, I mean, there's really no precedent in modern history for a president inheriting a strong economy, you know, leaving it, you know, for whatever reason in ruins four years later in winning another term. I mean, that's really never happened. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been presidents like FDR who inherited a uh, mess and, you know, ran with unemployment in double figures um, for reelection and won, but he had improved the mess that he right. had inherited. Exactly. You know, something there. similar for Obama in, in 2012. But, you know, so even, you know, when you're seeing Trump, you know, kind of sell hope in terms of, oh, there's going to be, there's so much pent up demand and, you know, next year is going to be so great economically. And, you know, it's really at this point, he's saying whatever he needs to say to keep himself strong heading into November. And, you know, I do think there's enough uncertainty in terms of what's going to happen in some of these states that are reopening that I'm not necessarily willing to leap right to the conclusion of saying, boy, this is going to be humanitarian catastrophe in Florida or Georgia. You know, it, it seems like, um, you know, but the other aspect is that Florida and Georgia have both kind of fudged their numbers a little bit. Well, so, that's the problem it, is that when it's people that you, you know, so to me, a more interesting, you know, uh, one is I live in Cincinnati, you know, yeah. and what happens here? Because we have actually had one of the sort of three or four responsible Republican governors. And yeah, I heard a piece about this for the Daily Beast. I mean, you know, DeWine and I, you know, I don't I, I try to be honest and, and employ, you know, weird things that people on the far left and far right don't seem to get, such as nuance and context. And, you know, so <laughs> I, can, I could sit there and point to the fact that DeWine has been absolutely awful on abortion rights, awful. 
like on a jihad. Um, on, so I was on a, the board in the state of Planned Parenthood, and it's something I care about. So I will say quite forcefully, he uh, when when science touches his religion, he's been terrible about it. Same with gay rights. But I gave him credit for the fact that he seemed to find the spirit that he had when he once was kind of one of McCain's guys in the Senate when it came to this thing, when he was much more moderate on things like guns and climate change and a number of issues where he was probably one of the most liberal Republican senators, believe it or not. And on this, he, you know, he put he did the exact opposite of Trump, put a Democrat in office. Uh, I'm sorry, there's the head of the public health, you know, Dr. Amy yeah. Acton, who's become like a rock star now. And you know, we we shut down. We were the first state in the country to shut down uh, our restaurants, and but now we're starting to reopen. And I'm I'm curious, you know, because in the, initially he he was going to do like some states. I think New Mexico's done it. I don't know who else. A mask requirement. He backed off that. I think that was a bad mistake. Um, you know, and and so we're reopening in phases slowly. But I do wonder what's going to happen. And I think Ohio might be a more honest appraisal. Of of the, you know just because you did a good job at first, are we still reopening too early, and that kind of thing? Because I believe the numbers from here, because at least we've had a public health uh, leader here who's been trying to do the best they can while minding political realities, but also paying attention to science. Like I don't trust a damn thing. DeSantis and Kemp, as far as I'm concerned, right. throw Abbott in there too. The three stooges of those big southern state. I mean, those guys are no better than Trump. I mean, they'll say right. don't make up anything. So I don't trust anything that comes out of that. Yeah. Um, well, and that's, you know, and, and DeWine, I mean, in some ways, there's a lot of benefits right now to having a Republican governor because you don't have Trump demonizing him constantly like you do with Whitmer in Michigan, for instance, you know, where and so it kind of, you know, it, it gives a little more latitude um, for someone like DeWine to do what needs to be done. But, you know, I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, this is a big uh, beyond the obviously the horrible public health crisis, I mean, it's a big demand problem. You know, people just aren't really wanting, you know, myself, for instance, if DC tomorrow said, oh, we're reopening bars, you know, all the stores are open, I'm not going to go to a restaurant or bar, you know, oh, and so, and I think there are a lot of people like that. I mean, I'm sure there are some who will, you know, who are eager to go out and spend money and things like that. But um, is that, you know, a critical mass to kind of get the economy back on its feet and that's what i'm really right. dubious about and especially I think when the you other can thing... still get most of this stuff at you know curbside checkout or delivered or you know like you don't you still don't need to actually go into restaurants and sit down to be able to get yeah. things so well and the other thing is that you know the restaurant industry the margins the profit margins are so thin most of the time yeah so if you're forcing these restaurants to operate at 50 percent or 25 percent capacity you know, not only is that really endangering those restaurants, but the employees who work there, you know, might not have jobs, you know, so, so it's, it's a kind of a cascading problem. And, you know, we're still kind of in the mode where Trump is just sort of selling hope about the whole thing. But I wonder, you know, as this kind of drags on, you know, over the months, the summer, and then into the fall, if that will become more difficult for him as it becomes, you know, clear that we're really kind of stuck with the big crisis here, in part because we didn't really take the steps necessary to kind of nip it in the bud in, in the way that other countries like South Korea and Germany have done. Right. And so, you know, it's one thing to sell hope now when we've been kind of stuck in this mess for a couple months, but, you know, two or three months from now, I think it's only going to be more difficult. And I think right. you're already kind of seeing what his plan is, although he's a very impulsive person, like I kind of touched upon earlier and i think he basically says whatever he has to say each day just to get through the day and win the news cycle 
but you're kind of seeing him seed these conspiracy theories, you know, the Obamagate stuff that I think is going to kind of function as a substitute, you know, at least in his mind for the positive economic message that I think he hoped to run on as recently as, as a few months ago. Yeah, that has to be, I mean, yeah, that's his only, the only thing he can do, right? I mean, I suppose if sometime before November, and obviously as an American and a human member of the human race, I hope that we find a vaccine before Mm -hmm. November. I'm sure he'll try to take credit for that in every way possible, and I don't know if that's something that people will actually believe. Certainly so far, they don't believe anything he says, and that's because he gets on TV and tells people to drink bleach. You know, so (laughs) I mean, he he sort of set that up that way. So even something like that, I don't know if that helps him in the end. So I think you're right. It has to be all conspiracy and resentment, um, you know, and and I don't know if that can do it for him this time. I mean, he'll cheat too. You know, but go ahead. Oh yeah, and we're seeing that. I mean, you know, his tweets today about I'm going to, you know, which which is kind of um, it's unclear what exactly he means, or when he, you know, he's threatening he's threatening various states that he's going to take away federal funding if they have mail-in voting, basically. You know, so the idea there is that he wants to force people to, you know, he he wants to disincentivize people from voting because he thinks that's bad for him, even though you know there's a number of red states, including Utah. Who have pretty much full mail-in voting and Republicans right. win, so it, you know it's not like it's a guarantee that Republicans can't that win. Actually, helps way. a lot of elderly folks who, in the past, have been Republican. You know, right. it, it, it it may you know that may not work out that way this time because it's weird how when you tell old elderly folks that as long as the economy comes back and the Dow Jones, you're okay with them dying. They 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 tend to be less fans of what. Uh, you're doing and you. But yeah, it all kind of, you know, you, you and I can kind of talk through it and all make sense to us, but I still, you know, I still get that sense of trepidation when you kind of look at his Trump's approval and it's, you know, still at 42, 43%. And then you look, you know, even in Ohio, I mean, I haven't looked at the polling this week, but I know it's been pretty much, you know, a toss up between him and Biden. And not to no. mention, you know, how Hillary's polling kind of flagged towards the end of the 2016 race. And um, so it's it's still concerning to me that, you know, I mean, again, you know, we're looking at a situation where unemployment's 15%, you know, so it, it, the job gains of his first few years have basically been wiped out. I mean, even the stock market is up over his three plus years, but, you know, it went from like 18 and 18.5 to like 23. So, you know, it's not like it's up huge. Right. And so it, you, you kind of just survey what's going on. I mean, we've lost job gains of the last decade and then some. Right. So what is he running on? You know, so there's really kind of nothing there for him to run on. And yet he's still, you know, it's like 42, 43% approval. And, you know, and that is as a journalist, it's kind of baffling. I mean, again, you know, not that it's my job to help Democrats win or anything like that. But, you know, again, I've been watching this guy now for, you know, since he was campaigning, you know, pretty much every public appearance he's made. And if you have been paying attention, you're still supporting this guy. It's like, I, I just don't really know well, what your base is. attention is part of it. I mean, I think sadly, you know, we're at a point where um, I, I've said this before on this show from, you know, my take on functioning democratic societies is that even in a fully functional, prosperous democratic society, you can probably find anywhere from 30 to 33 percent somewhere in there that would support a, a buffoonish fascist leader. Because it just seems that that's, if you look in history, that's the way it is, you know? Yeah. Um, the problem we have, and to me this is a big problem I discuss a lot on this show, is we have allowed, and an what I would call an anti-American, certainly, 
but anti-democratic propaganda network to proliferate. And we've allowed sure. it to hide behind the 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 um, the label of news, and right. we haven't challenged that. And we haven't, you know, we've said we've we've sort of in the way that that people on the right try to become Second Amendment fundamentalists, we've become First Amendment fundamentalists. Where we'll say somebody yelling fire in a crowded theater is is something you could be arrested for. We'll say that inciting you know riot is something you can go to prison for. Libel is something you can go to prison for. Slander certainly things are at least you can get sued and get a hell of a lot of trouble for. And yet. Fox does all these things constantly, and yet we won't even try to to sort of de-designate them as a news station, you know. And, and, and I've watched so much Fox, and you know, even today there was a really great example where, you know, there was that email yesterday that was declassified that Susan Rice sent to other top Obama officials, you know, towards the end of, you know, this was regarding the Michael Flynn stuff. And this email is basically the most anodyne email. It's basically saying we got to make sure to do things by the book. You know, here are some concerns about Flynn, but you know, there's clearly, you know, you, you read this email and there's no hint of a conspiracy or abuse of power. And Fox and Friends today had Marco Rubio on, who is now, you know, in position to become the chair of the intelligence committee in the Senate. And they're kind of trying to re, you know, they even reframe the part of the email that says, let's do things by the book as kind of being, you know, um, trying to cover, cover their bases. But there was, yeah, right. Sinister. And, you know, it's just so ridiculous. But, it's not challenge, you know. That's that's their mo. It's not. There's no pushback because right. it's an echo chamber, and so you know, I've I've watched it over the years with kind of a critical lens. But you know, if you don't have that capacity, or if you're sort of drinking the Kool Aid, um, you know, that is a very powerful thing. And you know, that's why it's kind of surprising to me when I see Trump sort of snapping at Fox News as he's been doing on occasion now. Um, you know, that seems kind of dangerous for him because um, he probably he needs him. Fox more than vice versa, although I guess it is sort of a symbiotic relationship because he's on there every week, you know, right. doing interviews, well, and that certainly helps them. So My view, I'll say quickly, and John need, is back, and we need you an uh, He's back. We need to finish the, the point, the segment and the point. Sure, which, and then we'll do a quick ad. Yep. Which is what I was trying to say, you know, and, and you're making that point very well, Aaron, is that – to me, that you know, the natural kind of inclination for a, a buffoonish strongman is maybe a third of the populace. But when you allow Fox News, to, and, and there was a major study, and I keep saying this, so I'm going to look it up, and I keep forgetting mm -hmm. which one it was, that showed that on average, Fox adds five points to Republicans they wouldn't otherwise get. When you take the, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Fox adds five pounds to Republicans. <laughs> oh, that, too. <laughs> that too, clearly. Uh, oh, now I'm doing that bad thing again. Oh no, God, you're right. Not there's anything um, wrong with it. <laughs> but but I mean, like when you take Fox itself, but then you add in talk radio. I mean. Yeah, you know, and, and you add in that universe uh, of what they do, the the they thank God just finally caught after twenty-six years the mastermind behind the 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 genocide in Rwanda, you know, Kabula. And they caught him in Paris in like an Eichmann like raid. And what did he do? He bought up talk radio before there, you know, it was 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 one of the ways he got the Hutus to attack and massacre eight hundred thousand Tutsis and dehumanize them on talk radio, referring to them as cockroaches constantly. My point is, is that when you, the propaganda networks are added to that natural inclination, I think you start where Trump wouldn't go below the low thirties. But I think that that's the other when you say why can't he fall below forty two, forty three percent? To me, that's the other five, eight, ten percent is that. You know, it's a great point. Yeah, and um, 
Oh yeah, you guys got to do your commercial. I am the ad dominatrix. We must okay. have an ad. <laughs> well, keep this in mind and, and and say something about it. if you want to say more. It certainly, Aaron. When we come back, I'd like to hear if exactly. All right, we're going to take a quick break for Literati Books, and we will be right back. Well, Literati, the number one subscription book club for kids, now in quarantine, more important than ever. Stella tweeted, Steph, you have the best sponsors. I just ordered Literati for Jack, who's my surrogate grandson. I lost my sister last year to cancer, my best friend, my North Star. Her one request as she was dying was to take care of Jack and her kids as if they were my own. I do. Um, You sent it to your nephews. I sent it to my ex, Lisa, and her newborn and everybody's raving about them. Oh my God, he was so excited. He like went and got his books and showed them to us on FaceTime. It was amazing. I got uh, the pictures of them. Uh, You've got to get Literati. Libraries, schools, bookstores are closed. Literati has you covered with something truly unique. Every Literati box contains five books based on a theme with exclusive original art and a personalized note just to your child. Do it now for a limited time. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie for 25% off your first two subscriptions. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie, 25% off your first two subscriptions. Literati.com slash Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, folks. John Ervos is here with Cliff Schechter and Aaron Rupar. Nope. Should we pick up where we were? Aaron was talking about to say. Well, yeah, I mean, I missed. Well, and I apologize. I missed a whole segment. Uh, my life has been trying to apply for one of those PPP loans because my income kind of disappeared this yeah. year, which was really very exciting. I mean, I didn't want to share stuff like this, but at the same time, you know, it kind of helps everybody else. And it sure. has been living hell. Try I me, mean, Cliff. I think you had mentioned to me. I, I applied and I got rejected, and I just they like you should apply again. And I'm like, no, I'm. Well, oh, they actually rejected. See, it. Well, this I, is. I, the, I, yeah, I'm not going. Can to. I actually, Aaron? Do you mind if I tell people? Are you like? Do you have to sign off soon, Aaron, or not? Because otherwise, I I'll got about 15 more minutes. Let me tell this really quick, and then yeah, maybe because I don't want to like cut you guys off, but it's been kind of fascinating. I I looked at my Senate Credit Union first because I used to work on the Hill, and I thought, oh, I like them. They're good local people. There was nothing on their website. I now find out it's because they weren't part of the program originally. It was only some banks, right? Then I went to Capital One, which is the bank that I have a business checking account at. Oh, great. Filled in everything. About a week and a half later, I get a message back saying, we we have some questions about your account, you know, or about your account, about your application. Would you please uh, let us call you? And I'm thinking, okay, I have to give you permission. Okay. So I click, yes, call me. Nothing. Another week and a half goes by, and there's no way to contact them. I finally said, okay, this is bullshit. So I go to U.S. Bank, where I also have an account and stuff like that. Apply through U.S. Bank. Within three days, someone gets back to me and tells me the documents I need. I was a little confused, so I asked her questions. She got back to me again and gave me answers, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm actually getting a real human being at a bank today helping me, right? A week ago, it's done. A week and a half ago? final closing documents come up because it's like a loan or it's like a closing on your house you have to sign the documents i click the button to sign i get an error message we can't retrieve your documents it's been a week and a half of this i finally and i've been going back and forth with them on email i finally went on twitter last night which aaron and cliff both know is like sort of the last resort of go of dropping a nuke is when you go on twitter and bitch at a company <laughs> they they claim they fixed it same thing happened this morning so my credit union, Senate Credit Union, finally is accepting these loans. I just got a call from the woman at the credit union who's going to personally walk me through the process, gave me her direct phone number. I was like, are you for real? <laughs> like, where did you come from? It's, it's 2020. We're not supposed to have like banks have real people we can talk to to help us. So I'm going to have to apply for a third time now. The other applications never went through. 
because the bank's fucked oh. up. Cliff, I mean, it is an errand. I, I gave up. I mean, there are delays. There is this. There is that. I wouldn't even go into the boring. Well, you know, and one of the but, points I always like to make on things like this is, you know, I'm a lawyer. Cliff is smart. I don't know, Cliff. You've got you've got your credentials too. You went to Columbia. I mean, like we're not stupid people, and we can't figure this out. And we and, well, and yeah. you got to be tenacious. As, I'm sorry, Aaron. Go on. Yeah, it's just, oh, just you know. I, it scares to me, me. I mean, it, it's kind of more evidence where, you know, given the length of the crisis that we're facing, you know, I, I think of federal, it, it would have made way more sense for the federal government to kind of backstop people with, you know, suspending uh, rent payments, mortgages, things like that, rather than trying to give people money with, the, you know, if, if it was going to be direct payments, that'd be one thing, but this sort yeah. of ham-fisted program that no one can figure out and people are right. exploiting, I mean, it just kind of seems yeah, like a mess. Exactly right. You do this if you want it to be opaque and if you want to reward friends, which sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, because all this does is, is, I mean, imagine, like, and I always point this out, John brings up that, you know, we, we may have better educations than a lot of folks do but it's not even just like even when we talk about having no income coming in we're not the people that are like oh my god if no income comes in this week how am i going to feed my right, family right, right. and then the fact that like with people dealing with that shit that you would create a level of bureaucracy and pressure yeah. for them to have to go through to get any of this is insane i mean as yeah. you said aaron they should have been the easiest damn thing in the world and yeah. if they weren't trapped by their stupid right-wing ideology and by their corruption it would have been suspend rent payments and, and or, or push them back and make people it's not that people don't have to pay them necessarily but make them pay them you know at the end of the year or the end of some period of time they, where they have to make it up over a period yeah. of time it's mortgages push it back to the end of yeah. their 15 or 30 year mortgage and and then when it comes to just give people i mean maybe you take a quick look at income and you give certain people 2000 a month certain people right. 3000 a month certain people right. who are wealthy as hell nothing but that's it just do that and do it fucking quickly and don't make people and, apply for anything or waste their time on bureaucracy or cliff, or cliff people could apply later we could have they could have done a quick and easy like i remember back in the days when i had the 1040 easy form right when i was like <laughs> making no money and it was like 10 questions you fill out and your taxes are done they could have done something like that get you the money you need you know to pay your bills and everything else and then when next tax year hits when uh, april of 2021 we do our taxes, even, even frankly, the forgiveness. This program has forgiveness. It has forgiveness for paycheck, for your mortgage interest, but I can't get a straight inter an answer on, is it 100% of my mortgage interest or is it only the percent I can deduct, which is 3% because I work out of an, a condo that doesn't have an extra bedroom. No one can tell me the answer. But bottom line is you could have lent people the money and reconciled it next tax time and said, you know what? If you made $100,000 this year, then you didn't need the money we lent you. We'd like it back. And I'd be like, super duper, you know? Yep. But, but, but you know, other countries have done stuff kind of like that. And, you know, that's why our economy has been absolutely <sighs> blowing up here, you know, in a way that it hasn't in other countries because we've, you know, it's such a messy, complicated thing. Right. And, you know, sadly, I mean, with Republicans kind of having the posture now of they don't want to do another stimulus, um, you know, it's not going to get any better as the summer goes along, because yeah. I think we're going to see even with states reopening to a, you know, to a degree, um, I still think we're looking at, you know, um, unemployment probably going up next month, you know, above 20 percent, possibly, as even people in the White House have acknowledged. Yeah. And so it just, you know, it's a dire situation um, for Republicans to run on. So, you know, I do wonder if that'll lead to some sort of caving as the desperation sets in a little bit more. Well, look, and the businesses, I mean, the fact that restaurants and things can't open fully, 
then guess what? They're not going to need half the waiters and waitresses if they can only do half the tables, right? And it means how do you pay your bills if, like, especially a business like a restaurant, if only half the money is coming in, how are you paying the rent? Hey, John, here's where you, the, it's important that you missed the segment where we already huh. talked about restaurants oh. and the difficulty. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to listen to this podcast. Yeah, I'm having fun there with you. you. We actually got into that a little bit, some of that oh, stuff. Oh, that's funny, though. No, but I mean, but it's, but if you're Great coming time. back, but, but it's an interesting point. If a business is partially coming back, then it's partially pulling in money. And usually, Right. I mean, God willing, your business makes so much that even though you lost half your income, you're still making a ton of profit. But for most businesses, losing half your income means your profit's gone. Right. You know, it's a very no. I, oh, that, I, and that was yeah, yeah, that was one that was very revealing to me. I don't know if you guys saw the clip. It was just yesterday. Man, it seems like it was a year ago. But um, Trump had that roundtable event. And one of the execs who was there was someone from Panera Bread. You know, because right. Trump almost every day has these events with corporate executives for reasons right. that are not entirely clear to me. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's kind of, I Thanks think the really important doing something. He's around, it's very like, weird, but he's always but anyways, security. He needs to be around elite people to feel important. The the Panera exec, you know, kind of did, you know, they go around the table, they kind of praise Trump. And um, his remark as he was doing kind of his introductory remarks was, you know, we've been hit very hard. We've lost between 50 and 60 percent of our revenue. Right. And then Trump kind of jumped in and was like, oh, you've lost 50 to 60%, huh? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, that's not bad. You know, Trump, he really said that. That's not bad. Yeah. That, that I mean, by the way, that's that a campaign was, commercial at some point. And it just, you know, it, it kind of, he's just so out of touch, you know, and, 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 you know, it's the logic that leads to a person bankrupting, bankrupting casinos, you know, that is, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, just no concept of, how things work. And that's, you know, that's the president that Republicans are so yeah. staunchly behind still to this point. So anyway, I thought that was kind of a, a very revealing moment. How bizarre. I'm trying to think like what he could have thought. Maybe, because Trump being Trump, who knows, maybe he thought the guy meant I lost half of my personal income. But honestly, even if you make a lot of money and you lose half of your income, usually you've got a house and a family and maybe your kids go to you know private schools. But very often people who make more, I'm not talking filthy rich, but you know, you make a couple hundred grand or 300 grand or whatever, you often then are in a bigger house and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's not that I feel as sorry for somebody making but 300 it's grand. It's never a good thing to lose, to lose half, half your income. income. Never respond yeah. with, oh, that doesn't sound bad at all. That's not the response. Yeah, even, you know, but... And it's funny to me because, you know, that's another thing that, I, that I've noticed kind of, you know, watching Trump and then the ensuing coverage of him. And, you know, I'm not the first one to make this point, but it's kind of remarkable to me how a lot of the mainstream outlets really kind of sanitize a lot of what he says. You know, he'll say just this wild stuff that makes yeah. no sense and kind of reveals profound ignorance. And then you'll read the New York Times write up and it's like Trump hits back at critics, you know, promises economic rebound or something like that. And it's you know, I mean, it's not as big as the Fox News problem, but again, you know, it's for someone who isn't like me and isn't watching all of his public appearances, you know, if you're just reading the coverage, you know, certainly I think you'd get the sense that he lies a lot and says a lot of untrue stuff, but um, I don't think you really get the full scope, you know, until you watch one of his rallies or watch one of these events that he has at the White House, you know, where he's crediting Ivanka Trump for, cre for creating 15 million jobs when you know, at the time, there had only been like six million created in his in his you know entire term in office, and you know it's stuff that kind of flies below the radar that doesn't really get surfaced in you know ma in in major mainstream media outlets. But you know, I think it's kind of important to understanding what we're dealing with here. Yep. Yeah. 
I think that's so, exactly right. I don't right. know what the fuck you guys have been talking about, so I'm like afraid to even jump in. Jump in, John. The worst you could do is repeat something we said. Well, I'm not even <laughs> sure where I mean just I'm just not sure where we even are on anything. Um you know, actually, I was looking at the data. Interesting, they were showing this morning on the news, the data, maybe this isn't repetitive, but that a number of the places that opened so far, like in three weeks, their uh, case numbers are still going down on new cases and their uh, testing has gone up. So, so far, it's looking decent. I guess, you know, what I keep wondering about is whether, well, A, how will this summer really look? But B, what's going to happen in the fall? You know, my nephew is getting married in October and he lives out in Arizona. And he called me yesterday and he was like, are you coming to the wedding? And he said, by the way, I'm totally cool. If you don't, you know, if you don't, cause he already told me, he goes, grandma, you know, Yaya, we say in Greek, he said, I'm telling Yaya, she's not coming. There's no way I'm putting, he goes, there's no way I'm going to be responsible for killing my 90 year old grandmother because I made her come to my wedding, <laughs> you know, but it's, but what it got me thinking more about was the uncertainty of if, if the experts are just sure this is coming back in the fall, just sure of it. Right. Then you not only have once people get sick, we're shut down again, we can't fly and I can't go to his wedding, but there's going to be the Mardi Gras problem where everybody went to Mardi Gras before this was a huge, before we knew this was a huge problem. And then two weeks later, we went, holy shit. Right. So right. You've got the, to use Trump's language, you know, the invisible enemy. How do I know when I'm flying to my nephew's wedding in October that the invisible enemy isn't already peaking and we're all going to be deadly ill in two weeks? And I don't mean to sound paranoid because I don't think it's paranoid. I, I think if, if supposedly this is coming back for sure and there's going to be a two to four week period that we won't know it's coming back at least, then when am I ever going to be comfortable going to a restaurant, you know, sharing, getting into an Uber? flying a plane, forget it, flying in a plane. I just don't, I don't know how we get the economy back when people like me and two thirds of the economy is consumer spending. I ain't going to be spending outside of Amazon. You're exactly right. I mean, the whole notion of a second wave, I think is a little bit of a misnomer just in that we never really got through the first wave. I mean, you know, the right. numbers, the curve has been, you know, when you look nationwide at the number of daily new cases, which is, you know, probably the best way to kind of, you have to factor in the, that testing has gone up too, but yeah. the daily new cases and the deaths, uh, you know, are kind of at or near uh, the peak level that they have been. You know, it's, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 to 15,000 new cases and then somewhere between one and 2,000 deaths. Right. And I think the thing that's kind of scary is how it's already kind of become sort of background noise, you know, where yeah. it's like this death rate could go on indefinitely. And it seems like, people are kind of okay with that, right? So, um, but you're right, you know, we, we did kind of touch upon that a little bit earlier, but just that, you know, the other factor is that some of these states, Georgia in particular, you know, has been kind of fudging the numbers. And so it's a little bit unclear exactly what's going on. You know, some Arizona of these states stopped that are- taking the numbers altogether. Right, so it's, yeah. you know, so it, it's a but, but there's also, you know, I also accept that um, there's a lot of uncertainty in that, you know, for instance, Florida, which by all accounts should have had, you know, just a horrible outbreak because of how late they sort of shut down and all the spring breakers. I mean, it didn't really seem like that happened. And so there seems to be a lot of uncertainty, you know, with these super spreader events or kind of right. triggers that lead to a New York style outbreak. I mean, maybe it was the fact that so many people are using the subway and that was, you know, kind of an ideal situation in New York for right. spreading. Um, there's a lot that we don't know. And, you know, 
the thing that I do think is interesting, though, is that even just today, I mean, finally, the CDC released their detailed guidelines for reopening. And just as is the case with the White House Coronavirus Task Force guidelines, none of the states meets their criteria. I mean, they have almost the same thing in the CDC guidelines about 14 <clears throat> days of declining new cases, which is the same criteria that's in the, the task force guidelines. And no right. state has met that. And yet, you know, no one seems to be that bothered that states are kind of moving forward um, in violation of the government's guidelines and that Trump, you know, is promoting right. that states do that, encouraging them to do that. Yeah. Um, so yet, we don't really know what's going to happen. But I think I think the thing that is kind of notable and a little bit scary to me is how we've already kind of normalized, you know, hmm. uh, not quite on the level of a 9-11 every day, but, you know, um, you know, like a, a, if, it, it's interesting to think if on March 5th or March 10th, you know, if suddenly one day 2000 people died, you know, um, how huge of a story that would have been. Right. You know, but because it was kind of this slow ramp up and it's kind of in background noise, um, right. you know, right. it, it's yeah. just kind of become a fact. You read, you know, oh, 1,500 people died from the coronavirus right. yesterday, and you just kind of carry on with your day. And so, you know, to me, that is kind of a, a worrisome thing for the future, this possibility that in a way that other countries haven't, that we're just going to sort of normalize, you know, a really ga ghastly death toll on a daily basis here. Four, four people died at Benghazi. Yeah, it was the end of the world as far as Republicans were 13 concerned. hearings or so. You know, actually, one thing I was going to ask you, Aaron, based on this. Yeah. Do you know anybody who's been sick or died from coronavirus? You know, I do in the sense of people online or like, you know, a couple journalists that I know have had it, but no one in my direct, like, personal yeah. circle. Um, do you know anybody who's died? And I don't mean somebody on Twitter said somebody died, you know what I mean? But I mean, just in... Friends of like friends, a personal, family. Not like a personal friend. I mean, the one thing I will say is that my dad is on chemo. And so right. he has been like, you know, the, the amount of lockdown that he's had to, to be yeah. on has yeah. been kind of crazy. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people like that where he, you know, yeah. he's basically, my, my, my mother has him kind of insulated at home, yep. you know, basically not interacting with anybody other than her. Um, so, you know, so it has kind of touched upon, and then my wife is also pregnant. So that's been Right. You know, concerning, just trying to make sure that she's OK. But, um, you know, that but, is kind of no, I haven't. But you that, know, I, that's I think, my point about yeah, the death. Yeah. Yeah. There's no different. Let me put it this way. For somebody like you, there's no difference from being today at 92 to 192,000 deaths from where we were at 50,000 deaths. Your experience yeah. was the same. You had heard of a couple people being sick. You know, you've been worried about your dad and your wife. And, you know, I, my friend Marcus in Paris got deadly ill, but not enough to go to the hospital. He's better. And I knew a Greek woman in New York via friends. We had dinner several times who got it and died. And she had exactly the classic. They sent her home. She collapsed. Nobody knew. You know, horrific. 36 hours later, they found her intubated. She died. That's it. And that one, even that one freaks me out a little because I didn't know her, but I knew her. We had dinner three or four times, but that's it. And Though those were from the beginning, I still don't know of any more cases, even one step removed from me in the last two months. So, so in a yeah. funny way, the two thousand people dying a day, it it doesn't exist for me, and and, and that's what I worry about with this. Is the other is, thing that yeah that I, that I think is important, building on on the point you just made, is that I think that's part of the reason that it has become so easy to sort of frame this as a partisan hmm. issue is because you know, New York City was hit really hard. Um, you know, like a lot of the places who have been that have been yeah. hit hard, you know, New Jersey, 
And so, you know, if you're in a rural area, you're kind of viewing the fact that your businesses have been closed down as like this hysteria. Right. You know, and so it's kind of it's unfortunately really fallen along the usual fault line of, you know, Republican Democrat. I mean, that's changing, I think, a little bit. You know, I know like in Wisconsin, for instance, the numbers Mm -hmm. have been trending sadly in a bad direction in some of the more upstate areas. And, you know, I wonder if if that'll you know, if that trend continues, if that'll kind of reshape the way that people are thinking about this. But because cities, you know, and and in many instances, blue cities are the ones that have been hit hardest, I think for a lot of people, you know, Republican voters who are living in more exurban or rural areas, it's become, and they don't know people, like you said, who, you know, they don't know people who have gotten sick or died necessarily. Um, It becomes really easy to sort of, You you know, yeah. You know what's an interesting – actually, Cliff, was an interesting question I'd asked on Twitter, and I didn't get an answer. I asked the question. I said, you know, for epidemiologists or whomever out there, how many people need to A, get sick, and B, die for there to be seven degrees or six degrees of Kevin Bacon, so to speak? You know what I mean? How many people do you need to get sick? Well, die would be the same thing because sick or die would be somebody affected. What's the what's the number you need for me within my family? And I'm happy to exclude, uh, include family to cousins, right? But but people you consider close enough family, um, work colleagues, but work colleagues means people in your office, not somebody five floors down, right? Or friends, and friends can go out to 30 people potentially, you know? Like, I mean, even Aaron, you got sick. I don't consider you a friend but because I don't know you well enough, but we're Twitter friends. So it would still be kind of weird if you got sick, right? Um, and I wonder, like, what's the – how many people in a population of 330 million do you need for you to breach that degree of separation issue? Because I think we haven't breached it yet. It's like, what, 310? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, go, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my case, I, you know, I mean, obviously I had a, a cousin pass away from it and she was she second oh, right. you did. Yeah. a yeah. lot older. So I did have a direct connection. Now, granted, okay. she was in her nineties and, you know, where was she living Cliff? She was in an assisted living facility in New Jersey. Oh, where, okay. oh New this, Jersey. Okay. Right. right. Now, um, so, I mean, there, there is that. And again, you know, she was older and whatever, but it's a loss is a loss. <clears> as you know, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, you know, I lost my mom. Yeah. No big deal. She's older, you know? Right. Um, and I, I haven't known a ton of people, but I've known a bunch of other people who, at least a three or four now, who are sort of those connections you're talking hmm. about, John. People yeah. I've worked with politically or done so, you know. So yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's it's like right in my face, you know. Knock right. on wood, my close family's healthy and close friends, but enough that I get it. You know what I mean? And I would think others who are as close to it as I've been would also get it. I don't know. But maybe, but this is where the uh, coming out issue with gay people or LGBT people comes from. Um, AIDS was a huge issue too. AIDS forced a lot of people to come out because you got AIDS and, you know, <laughs> at some point you died or you got very sick. I mean, people found out and it ended up forcing a lot of people out of the closet and in many ways, in many ways, uh, just changed the whole movement. Whatever you uh, know movement. people from, it's moved yeah. the numbers on on. Who is it, Rob Porter? Legal marijuana. Portman? Portman? Oh, who's, the, yeah. who's the guy? Remember, well, he's he's the gay, yes, whose son is gay. And that, I'm saying it's yeah. moved numbers on everything from medicinal mm-hmm. pot, um, from people knowing people who you know, smoked pot, to gun violence, where the more people that had family members, sadly, oh, become victims of gun violence. Yeah, whenever you right. know people, right. we, it, it changes things. Yeah. There's no doubt. I just think this. this well, and that's it, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 I find it to be absurd when, you know, it's usually a Republican talking point but you know when people kind of point out well it's only old and sick people who are dying it's like 
that's pretty much any well, illness just, or pandemic. You know, I mean, that's yeah. just how these things work. It's well, going to take with out comorbid- vulnerable people. Well, and people with comorbidities, which I heard somebody say the other day. In other words, people with pre-existing conditions. Hello. Like, what the fuck are you? I mean, A, like you said. Only, probably- only something like a third of Americans have them. Well, that's I mean, a third you know, half. It's closer to the, half. Yeah, like, like who the fuck you, doesn't? <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's no, that guy. And I was even thinking of the older person thing the other day because I was thinking about it because I was talking to my nephew about it. I thought, you know, if I were because I was my nephew or somebody were talking about how uh, Trump's having problems now with seniors. And I was thinking, you know, younger people might look at it and say, well, you're in your 80s. You had a good life. You're looking at it as I worked for 60, you know, not 65, but I worked until I was 65 or fucking 70. I've only been retired for 10 years. I spent a lifetime toiling and you're telling me now it's time for me to die when for the first time after a lifetime of working, I finally can enjoy myself. Like, like retirement isn't, Oh, you had a good life. Now you can die. Retirement is you had a shitty life and now you can finally relax a little bit, but, but Trump and everybody, and even maybe our own biases kind of kick in and go, Oh, you know, she was 84. I guess she had a good life rather than she's going, fuck you. I, I was working a I think some of that until human, I was 70. I think some of that's human denial of our you own know? mortality. That everybody wants to be like, well, you know, they were older or they did something wrong to get it. Or they, yeah. it makes you sort of, you know, that, I think part of it's that. And, you know, part of it is, oh, someone's getting a call. Someone's part bad of phone's look, going off. Some of it's trying to look on the bright we, we have a package outside our door here. Ooh, exciting. Ooh. Oh, cool. Is there anything cool in it that we can share with our? Uh, <laughs> yeah, these are. Well, like I said, you know, my wife is pregnant, so we've been getting a lot of um, with the online registry baby stuff. Ah. Um, and we just moved about a you know a couple months ago too, so it's nice. you know we we've actually so, had a lot of packages arriving here, which um. Yeah, so let me nice. share this with yeah. you uh, yeah. because your your wife is pregnant. <laughs> so my my two boys now are are thirteen and ten, and it was when my wife was pregnant with my now ten year old that the swine flu was hit here it was like the h was that yeah h1n1 the big thing and, and we were waiting yeah. in lines in places to get the vaccine i'll never forget like you know being in line in a hospital for a hospital we were in line probably three hours i'm not kidding you waiting me my three then like not even yet three-year-old my two and a half year old and my wife who's pregnant and you can imagine trying to like amuse a two and a half year old in a line for three hours you know, while you're waiting to to get a vaccine and all that, and then we're scared, like, could that have any effects on the baby? And oh, so yeah, I'm not saying it's the same thing as right now. I'm just saying I have empathy that your your wife is contending with this right now. So we were very worried, you know, in D.C. because um, the trend line here was pretty bad for a, a spell last month. Yeah, and you know they were kind of prepping us with, oh, you know, if you're husband can't be there for the birth. This is how it'll work. You know, right. it, it seems like kind of the worst case has been mitigated here where there's no talk now of me not being able to be there. Right. Although she as a expectant mother, they automatically test her for COVID, you know, when right. she arrives. And then if, you know, neither of us have had any symptoms or anything, mm-hmm. but you know, if she does test positive, then it's like kind of this complicated decision mm-hmm. tree where I can't be there and the baby might not be able to be with her right away and all this stuff. So, you know, it is, it's, you know, obviously, um, there's no perfect time to have a kid, but it's, you know, right. it's an especially um, scary time just because, you know, the, the backdrop of a pandemic happening while this is do going you, on. Do you as expectant parents have any option to give birth somewhere that isn't as crowded as a big hospital? Or do you not really have a choice because if there's a complication, you want a big hospital to back, to, to back you up? You know, we never really explored 
for that. Um, you know, my, my wife has a doctor that she trusts and, you know, wanted to kind of work with through the process of, of having a child. So we never really looked into kind of alternatives, but like yeah. I said, the, the hospital that we're going to here in DC seems to have the COVID situation under control. I don't okay, even know that, if there are. That was my, I was trying to ask nicely yeah. because I don't want to scare you, but that would scare me going to a hospital for anything right now. That's, you know, I mean, yeah, but you know that. Go for, I mean, all the, for all the appointments, you know, we, I mean, we'll be there tomorrow just for, uh, you know, the regular checkups. And, oh, right. um, and I don't believe the hospital that we've been going to has COVID patients, but they do give you when you go in a temperature check. Yeah. Um, they don't allow any sort of loitering, you know, like you can't even, yeah. you know, sit outside. They, they don't want any, any extra bodies in there. Yeah. Um, so it has kind of been different yeah. in certain ways, but um, thankfully here in DC, the situation hasn't ever spiraled out of control where it's been kind of draconian or you can't yeah. go in the hospital. You know, So that at least has been, has been good. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different deal. It's really, they, they, you know, and, and that's one of the unfortunate consequences of a pandemic is that you start to view your fellow humans as threats just because in some ways they really are you know and so uh, uh bad, man. i was thinking about that the other day you know, people like trump use stuff like that because you do you're, you're quicker you have a quicker trigger you're more suspicious i mean we've mostly stayed home we've gotten takeout food from places most of that's even been curbside but if i've gone in anywhere like our local coffee shop who from the beginning you know before any of the stuff was even ordered we're wearing masks and cleaning everything and we're allowing fewer than six people inside and all that even if i've done stuff like that like you know when you go in and you wear a mask which i do obviously and all that kind of stuff still like when i when somebody jogs by me and gets too close and they're not wearing a mask when i realize when you're running, you're you're spitting almost when you're breathing, right? More saliva's coming out, whatever. Like it fucking pisses me off in a way that you know it wouldn't during normal times. That's, been, so that's pretty, definitely been my main microaggression that I've noticed is because I, I try to get outside every day and take a walk at least and kind of get some yeah. fresh air. And some of the trails around here, yeah, you'll you'll get the runner dude who's you know dripping sweat and you know huffing and puffing, and it's just like come on you know uh, the, like, really? the requirements here in dc yeah we, we have a stay-at-home order here still but one and actually part of the order here in dc is that uh having a mask is pretty much mandated you know in any business um parks that sort of thing they're not but, they're doing it in businesses but although park is the worst place for not wearing masks they're none of them have masks on but one of me. the carve outs for one of the carve outs yeah. that they have for mask wearing is if you're uh working out and so, you know, it's not like these people are doing anything that, you know, is we're walking, um, so they're working out. <laughs> right. You know, but it's it's just, yeah. you know, and, and you wonder if these people either just aren't paying attention or don't care. Um, but yeah, that's become for me, that's that's the one that I, I catch myself almost every day kind of getting upset because I'll be outside and there'll be someone huffing and puffing, yep. you know, running yeah, past me. And, and, you want yeah. to do that if that's how yeah. you need to work out. I work out in my home. You know, like doing things If now that I can't go to a gym. If that's how you need to do it, do it that way. But Jesus Christ, I mean, if you're doing that stuff, you better be at least six feet away. You should really try to be more like 10 feet away from anybody when you're running and doing that. And when people don't take that seriously, I admit that just pisses me off. I mean, especially when I'm with my kids. Like Cliff, people have the instructions yeah. have been shitty. I wear a mask because it also makes me feel safer. Most in the store because they're required to. Yeah. On the streets, walking the sidewalks, in general, I see a lot of masks. Whenever I go into my local park, the masks are gone. Gone. 
Like this weekend, there were a ton of people in the park. I was one of the only masks to the point where I felt kind of stupid wearing my mask. Like we're back to where we were two months ago when you first put the mat, when you put the mask on the very first time you said, I feel kind of dumb doing this. That's how I've started to feel again, because literally no one in the fucking park is wearing a mask. And that's pissing me bring off it, because yeah, the rule should have been. Circle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Go, go ahead. No, no, go on. no, just that. But the rule should have been wear a fucking mask. If you're outside of your house, period. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it kind of, I mean, that's part of, you know, it is a little bit of the the failures of our, you know, especially the federal government, that, that there hasn't been any sort of real guidance provided. And so in lack of, you know, without the, that sort of guidance, I mean, for instance, there was that story that you guys maybe saw, um, this was maybe a couple months ago now, where someone, it was a European study about how runners are basically just shedding, um, <laughs> you know, they're shedding uh, droplets everywhere, and that if you're behind someone running, you know, it's um, you might as well but then, you know, but then I saw people, you know, subsequent, I guess that the study was kind of a flawed study where it was sort of like an aerodynamic study, but it didn't really account for um, environmental mm-hmm. conditions and that droplets don't really hang in the air like that. And, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like, it'd be great if there was, you know, we have federal agencies that could put out some, some guidance on this stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, even with, with mask wearing, I mean, you know, you had the Surgeon General two months ago kind of dunking on people on Twitter and saying, you know, no one should be wearing a mask and let, you know, let, leave yeah, them for the, yeah. the healthcare providers, that sort of thing. And, you know, then there was a 180 on that. And, and yeah. granted, it's a difficult situation. It's unprecedented in a lot of ways. And so a little bit of conf- confusion is normal. Um, but, you know, even with stuff like mask wearing, it'd be really nice, you know, if instead of having a president who's kind of cheerleading businesses reopening if you know maybe he seemed to be more plugged into the public health aspect or even himself you know wear a mask um i think it's tomorrow that he's supposed to be in michigan Hmm. and that's kind of you know it's, it's not a big story but i am interested to see because ford made it very clear that they expect everybody who visits their plant to wear a mask (laughs) and trump was asked about that yesterday and he did the same hemming and hawing that he's done before all of his public appearances lately where he was kind of like well it depends on if they expect it in that part, you know, if they expect mask wearing in that part of the plant or what they tell me. And, you know, so he's already kind of laying the groundwork yeah. to have another one of those photo ops where he's the only person in sight not wearing yeah. a mask. But at the, but at the um, same time, yeah. supposedly they're so concerned that I caught coronavirus that supposedly it's a lie, of course. I'm taking hydroxychloroquine to, 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 to prophylactically because they're so worried that I must have gotten infected, but I don't need to wear a mask. Uh, that, right. That's one that I have not really figured out um, because it'd be very he's odd. Lying. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, he might be. I mean, certainly the statement that the White House doctor released suggested that he's lying because yeah. it didn't say that he's taking it. It kind of yeah. used, you know, weasel words. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't really understand. You know, it, it might be as simple as it's still kind of this, you know, the selling hope thing that we kind of talked about earlier where he just wants to give people the, the yeah. sense that a fix is coming and that it's going to all go away, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I really, you know, I wrote about this yesterday, his statement that the the study of VA hospitals that concluded that hydroxychloroquine can be dangerous was, as he put it, a Trump enemy state. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, that was yeah. really to me a revealing moment because it's like, a, you know, a scientific study that kind of cuts yeah. against one of his conspiracy theories is an enemy statement, even, even when it comes, you know, from his own government, the FDA, yeah. you know, um, drew conclusions from this study, the, the NIH put it on their website. Um, yeah. but you know, so I, I thought that that was kind of a, an interesting window into Trump's thinking on this whole thing. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I think we should should let you go because we've got another ad we have to do and then we're going to wrap up. But you've been, this has been, this has been long today. Wow. Hour 30 we went. Thank you. We go long with people we like and enjoy talking to. We do. We do. I really enjoyed it. You know, I'd be happy to do it anytime. So um, appreciate you having me on. Nice chatting. Thanks, Eric. Thanks a lot, buddy. You take care. We'll do, we definitely will have you on again. Great. All right. And there goes Aaron. Anyway, oh my God. Oh, I'm just, what a crazy everything. Oh my God, Cliff. Should we share at least one huh. um, funny COVID story before we leave? Oh, yeah, funny. <laughs> Two COVIDs walk into a bar. Yeah, what, what do you. Two COVIDs got? walk into a bar, and uh, so here it is. Huh. I, shared it, I shared it on Twitter yesterday, huh. just opening up my thing because I, I need to read it correctly. So one second, but here we go. And then we'll do an ad. Yes. Yes, exactly. I always forgot that. Yes. So here you go, folks. This this was from yesterday. Um, Tweeted out by Emily Guskin, who I feel like is a reporter. Hmm. uh, Okay. So here it is. A death metal drummer, the name of his band, by the way, was Death Angel, or is Death Angel. A death metal drummer got the coronavirus, says he was visited by Satan while in a coma, and now, quote, doesn't think Satan's quite as cool as I used to. Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> he was such a dick. <laughs> you know how I respond to that? Uh, Never meet your heroes, folks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that really is fun. But I love that though. Like I was really into the guy. I exactly. loved him. He was cool. He came by and he was a total dick. And I was he blew me off. He wouldn't talk to me. So yes, I know that coronavirus humor <laughs> is really it. hard to find, but I actually found some. We'll oh, do God. our best in the future too. But that is pretty good. Yeah. I met Satan and you know, he wasn't, he just, he wasn't all that. He wasn't the guy I thought he'd be. Yeah. 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 What are you going to do? Life sucks. Oh, so let me do a quick ad and then uh, maybe we can wrap up. So, uh, Going to talk to you again about the Clean Phone Pro that we've talked about before. But actually, I like these kind of products. I was talking to my cousin last night, actually, who got a even like bigger version of, of this uh, kind of device. But basically, it is a device, a UV device, UVC, which is the uh, ultraviolet, ultraviolet, violet, ooh, ultraviolet. I wonder what that would be. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ultraviolet. I'm having bad pronunciation times today. Ultraviolet light that is particularly uh, good for viruses and things like that. And, you know, we've been talking about sanitizing everything, our hands and everything and being super careful and wearing our masks and stuff. But it is true that the everyday items we use are also disease vectors. Um, the one in particular that I've talked about before has been my phone because I literally caught myself at the doctor's office, putting my phone down, using the hand sanitizer and then picking my phone back up. And as I just did it, I thought... I literally cleaned my hands and then put this damn phone on the on the countertop in a doctor's office that everyone's been touching back into my hand. So I totally contaminated my hands once again. Um, the idea here, I mean, it really was, that was like my, even before this ad, that was my epiphany to like my phone, ew. You know, and then you put it up to your face. So the Clean Phone Pro is a UV light box that you use to clean your phone, basically. Um, uh, kills 99.9% of all bacteria that comes in contact with your phone. Um, it has nine high-power UVC lights. It has dedicated wireless charging pad on top of the chamber. So you actually could put, for example, your keys or something inside of it and put your phone on top if your phone has the wireless charging, for example. So you could even use it as a phone charger. And by the way, you can use it for things like keys and other stuff too. Um, Because my keys are also, that's the other thing. I keep thinking, I feel like my jeans pockets, Cliffs, are just like these disease Petri dishes, you know? Like my keys go there. Everything that I touch. Yeah. 
Well, think about your keys too. Like all the stuff I touch when I'm outside and then I come and wash my hands, but my keys I had out when I touched the door handle. And anyway, it's just grossing me out. So um, the, uh, the way you get it is you go to thecleanphone.com today for $89 in free shipping. Uh, that tends to be the usual price, but it's not clear. Just to be sure that you're getting $89 price and free two-day shipping, use the code SEXYLIBERAL. That's one word, SEXYLIBERAL. If you're serious about hygiene, it's time to get serious about cleaning your phone. Go to thecleanphone.com and keep your phone truly clean. Remember, use the code SEXYLIBERAL so that we get credit for it, but also... That way it guarantees you get the two-day uh, free shipping. It'll ship immediately, and it'll be $89 for sure if you use that code. That's thecleanphone.com, thecleanphone.com. All right. So I must. So how much good stuff did I miss? And I'm sorry, you well, know, it didn't even it didn't, and Can I say, too, it didn't even hit me until halfway through that I should mute myself because I thought I was in the <laughs> other room. I text you. I'm like, dude, we can hear you. Well, I was I in the other room, okay. but I just, it, you know, it so freaked me out because I was like, oh, God, the bank's calling. I've got to take this. I got kind of just like thrown because she was going to email me I and you know fine and if anyway not, i'm sure our subscribers will let us know yeah. um uh you didn't you we actually ended up sort of heading back to some of the stuff we really talked somewhat about the coronavirus stuff and restaurants and things reopening we sort of started getting into right. that because we were comparing governors and i was talking about again you know oh um, governor well, our governor DeWine, who <laughs> yeah. it's okay, yeah. better than most Republicans, <laughs> but I still don't like what you know. He backed off on requiring face right. masks of everybody indoors, which I think should be required. Um, you know, and I know a few states have done. I feel like New Mexico did it. I'd have to look that up, but I think and a few others have, are, are saying we're reopening, but we are requiring face masks everywhere indoors. I think that right. should be part of the deal. Um, but um, so we were talking about that for a bit, and then. Um, we you missed a fun segment about mm. everyone everyone's best friend, uh, best Putinite uh, friend Glenn Greenwald. Oh, that came up because Glenn at one point because when Glenn was going on uh, Tucker's show, Aaron was was putting up the segments uh, and he of mm. course would do a mixed segment where he'd show Glenn on the show and then like five minutes later where Tucker would be going off on some white supremacist rant, and Glenn <laughs> right. got angry about that. So Glenn started trying to to attack Aaron by referring to him as a stalker. Which <laughs> um, is just hilarious. I mean, Glenn, you video stalker, his, you. His pathetic sort of little. Oh, he has. God. He reminds me in some ways of, of so much of Donald Trump. I mean, in other ways, no, but like he's so deeply insecure, and the pathetic little ways he tries to attack others, you know, and degrade them when they when they do even the slightest questioning of him. Like you, you may have been watching on Twitter right. this week. It's been with as Marcy Wheeler has been doing the public service. She often does because she's so deep in the weeds of this stuff on national security and privacy that when Glenn lies, she kicks his ass for it. And Glenn's, of course, been defending Flynn. Gee, I wonder why. Right. Uh, and you know, and trying to act like in, and joining the right in the, in the basically joining the right wing chorus, which he's now a part of, right. and the Russian chorus, which he's also a part of. That Flynn right. was treated unfairly, and Marcy has just been pointing out every bullshit lie of his, oh, everything yeah. half truth he's told. She's good. Every, she's, she's really so good. good. Yeah, and he cannot yeah. stand it. He gets so yeah. angry. He's like, "You unhinged, unbridled, un." I mean, like he just went on and, and how dare you contradict me yeah. with facts? He's all right. So it just it always betrays what you know what's going yeah. on in that head of his. But yeah. it, we, that came up just because I was asking Aaron. You know, besides Glenn, also there are others who similar people that kind of tried to to go after him because you know these guys don't like it when you actually. <sighs> You know, you don't have to even say anything. You just expose the truth. You get their video yeah. that they're hoping only a few of their supporters see, and you put it out there for everybody to see. 
So, so that's what you missed, John. It yeah. was a good conversation. He knows a lot about a lot uh, of what's going on right now. And yeah, he uh, he's a, a good conversational. I mean, it's funny because he does videos online. I wasn't sure if he was a good conversationalist, and he really is. Well, he explained how that happened too. It was sort of by accident. He was taught some technology. He used it, and the clips went huge. And there's a reason why he's huh. like 375,000 yeah, yeah. followers on Twitter yeah. because. Suddenly, well, don't, I mean, yeah, don't, I mean, we're probably boring everybody that you're filling me in on stuff they all heard, but sorry. That's, a good point. <laughs> well, that's about all we've got, unless you want me to tell the joke again. I could... <laughs> no, I think we're good. Um, today's Wednesday. Oh yeah, we did today's podcast today so on Wednesday. So we're going to do the next one on Friday. And so far we should have a guest, Cliff. We have another great guest. Yep. He's booked. We do. Oh, excellent. Okay. Then we'll have another now guest you know on Friday. Key, but I won't tell you anything else. It's a surprise. Exactly. We already did the gender reveal. Sorry. It's a fun theme, almost like Aaron. It's somebody who, let's say, chronicles the wrongdoings of the of the, what, the evil what, doers. What call them? Yeah, the evil doers. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. We will talk to you on Friday. Take care, guys.